Welcome to Passion Life Church. Well, good morning, Passion Life Church, and welcome to church this morning. We're so glad that you're here on this hot sunny day. Just think you could be anywhere. You could be at the beach. You could be anywhere. But you came to church this morning. And would you give yourselves a good round of applause because you did that? I'm excited that you're here. And uh, I just believe today that God has a word for us. This is part two of a series that we've entitled Extraordinary. This morning, can I ask you a question? Do you want to live an average life? Do you want to live a normal life? And I'd like for somebody to please give me the definition of normal. I don't know. Does anybody know what the definition? I don't want to live a normal I don't want to live an ordinary life. And I believe that we have a God that even in the ordinary mundane days of our lives can do extraordinary things in our life. Can anybody say amen this morning? And let's turn to our theme scripture. It's Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. And the Bible says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according According to the power that works in us. Can we all say this scripture together? Come on, say it with me. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. You know, in this series, we've discovered that God cares about your Ordinary. You know, in part one, we talked about some extraordinary results and we looked at Simon Peter and Jesus cared about how many fish that he caught. And Jesus asked him to make an ordinary decision, go back out, launch out. And you know what? Peter experienced extraordinary results. And that's really what the series has been about is looking at people's lives in the Bible who usually it came down to one decision that they made. And this morning, I want to talk about extraordinary victories. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. And we're going to talk about extraordinary victories. You know, this week in prayer, I just kind of felt like there would be some people here today, some people listening to the podcast that are in a fight. And you're in a fight. And you may be listening to the sound of my voice and you're in a fight for your health. Or you're in a fight for your family. You're in a fight for your marriage. And you feel like the enemy is coming against you. You feel like the enemy is trying to take some ground in your life. But what I want to do today is I want to look at a man who is about to make a decision. His name is Shama. Would you say that? Would you say Shama? We're going to look at this man in the Old Testament today. He had an incredible victory in his life. And uh, as you're turning there to 2 Samuel chapter 23, let me just give you a little bit of history. This passage that we're about to read, Shammah is one of King David's mighty men. Do we have any mighty men in the house? 
Yeah, we have some mighty men in the house. Now, King David was the, the king or was the young man, David, who killed the Goliath, killed the giant. And he killed the giant when he was in his four, about 14 or 15 years old, grew up, became the next king over God's people. And David had some mighty men. And he had about three that were the top three mighty men. He had others. But we're going to read about these top three guys. And we're going to focus on Shammah today because this guy, I just love what he, he did. Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. Have you found it? If you found it, say, oh, yeah. yeah. Verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men who David had. Joseph Beshabeth, the Tichamite or Tishamite, chief of the captains. He was called Adino, the Isnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. How many men did he kill at one time? 800 men at one time, verse 9. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, and Aharite, or Ahoite. I went to Bible college, and I still cannot pronounce biblical names. And I say that to you to give you hope when you read them. You may not be able to pronounce them either. I want my money back. I'm going to call my college and tell them. And verse 9. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aharite, one of the three men with David when they defiled the Philistines who were gathered there for a battle. The men of Israel had retreated, verse 10, and he arose, who arose? Eleazar. Eleazar arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. Listen, I want you to read this. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to read it together. But the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Come on, can we read that together? The Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to plunder. In other words, the people only came back and the... Uh, the um, army only came back to take the spoils from those uh, that they had defeated. In verse 11, and after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. And look what it says again. It says, so the Lord brought about a great victory. Can we say that again? So the Lord, come on, great victory. So the Lord brought about a great victory. You know, I've heard it said, you're either a lover or you're a fighter. And my mom, when I was in high school, tried to convince me that I was a lover. She's like, Phil, you're a lover. Don't fight. Don't fight, Phil. You know, you're a lover. But you know what? I found I had to make a choice that just because I didn't want to fight didn't stop the bullies from picking on me. Right? Just because I said, don't pick on me. I'm a lover. That didn't care about that. And that's why they wanted to beat me up, because I was a lover. Right? And just because I said, hey, I'm not going to fight, that didn't stop them from trying to want to fight me. So I had to make a choice. Do I defend myself or do I allow myself to be bullied? And here's what I've come to understand. 
that there are times in everyone's life when they must make up their minds either to stand up, back down, or give in and surrender. And some of you may be there right now. You're in a fight. And you know what? This is what Shama had to do. Shama had to make a decision when the Philistines gathered around his field. And here's what I like to do today. I want to talk about five keys to victory, to winning, and having an extraordinary victory. Are you ready? Here's number one. If you're going to have an extraordinary victory, you have to realize this. Number one, there is an enemy who actively wants to take ground. There is an enemy that actively wants to take ground. In Shama's case, the Philistines, and let me tell you a little bit about the Philistines today. The Philistines and the Israelites were always fighting. Now the Israelites worshiped, I mean, the, uh, excuse me, the Philistines worshiped other gods. They were barbaric. They actually engaged in child sacrifice, human sacrifice. They would sacrifice children to their God. And so one of the tactics of the Philistines was this. The Philistines would find your harvest. They would find your field and they would march through the fields of their enemy. And here was why. They wanted to trample the crops of their enemy. And so they would want to ruin the harvest, driving their enemies to hunger and weakening their will and their ability to fight. Look at verse 11 again. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground of lentils. Let's learn a little bit about our enemy. You know, the Philistines would come in with a tactic, a strategic tactic. They wanted specific ground that they wanted to take, and that was wipe out the resources of God's people. The enemy, ladies and gentlemen, is very strategic. Did you know that today you and I have an enemy as well? And your enemy is not God. Your enemy is not God. Your enemy is the devil. And the Bible says that we have an enemy that is the devil. You know what is so shocking to me? I was reading this statistic back in 2009. George Barna did this, uh, uh, these statistics and interviewed Christians. And you know what they found? They found that about 60% of Christians do not believe that the devil exists. 60% of Christians do not believe that the devil exists. This poses a problem. You know why? Because where's all the evil in the world coming from? That could mean that these Christians actually believe that maybe God's doing that. They believe that God is their enemy. God is not your enemy. God is on your side. Let me say that again. God is not your enemy. God is on your side. He's on your side today. But you know what? We understand not only that there is an enemy, but John 10.10 outlines his agenda. And his agenda is, it says, the thief does not come except, in other words, the only reason he comes is because he has an agenda and the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. Look what Jesus says though. I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. But here's the question. So if we don't believe that the devil exists, so when we read the Bible, if we don't, 
if what the Bible says about the devil is not true, then how do we know that what the Bible says about Jesus is true? If when we read the Bible and we don't believe what the Bible says about hell, then how can we read the Bible and believe what it says about heaven? And here's the truth. If you are convinced that there is no devil, then the enemy is already taking ground in your life. And here's his agenda. The enemy wants to steal. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to kill your dreams. He wants to kill your future. He wants to abort your purpose. He wants to destroy your family and relationships. My church family, the devil doesn't care how cute your kids are. He wants to destroy them. Well, I don't believe in him. Well, do you think that's going to stop him? He's not going to stop just because you don't believe. As a matter of fact, he's already winning. He's already winning then. You know, he'll come to you. He uses lies. He'll lie to you. He wants to deceive you. He'll tell you that God is against you. He will tell you you can't win. He will tell you God doesn't care. My church family, the Bible tells me in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, to be sober. Listen to this. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, our enemy, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That is strategic. Leave that scripture up there for me. Listen, the Bible is telling us we as Christians need to be sober. Why, Pastor Phil? Because we're in a fight. He's He's coming for your family. He's coming for you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But my Bible says I have to be vigilant. You know, I looked that word up in the Greek, and the, 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 the Greek word for vigilant means I have to be active. Least through remission and indolence, some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes one. You know what's interesting is that word vigilant is not being casual. Let's just be casual. And you know, I'm going to be honest with you. In 20 years of being a pastor, I see a lot of casual Christians. They're casual about their church attendance. They're casual about their spirituality. Well, let me just tell you this. We don't have a devil that's casual. Casual. We have a devil that wants to come in and steal, kill, and destroy from your life. And we need to stop playing church and playing games. And you know what's interesting is that people awaken to the fact that there's an enemy sometimes when he's already taken ground. But today, I want to do some training this morning so we can prevent and preact so the enemy won't take ground in your life. I don't know if I'm going to go to church today. I'm tired. He don't care. He doesn't care. His goal is to destroy your life. His goal is to prove to you that God is a liar when actually he is a liar. Amen. And you know what? People are casual. You can't be casual in a fight. You will get your derriere kicked. And it's interesting because Shama sees the Philistines and he sees them coming. And he sees the enemy and he makes a decision. I'm going to stand and I'm going to fight. And here's what Shama was saying. Enemy, you will not take ground in my life. You will not take ground in my life. You know, the Bible says that in James chapter 4, verse 7, 
It talks about the enemy and it says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, I looked up that word submit because I see so many Christian people. It's like, man, they're living a defeated life. And sometimes if we would just read the word of God, James is telling us we have to submit our lives. You know, in the Greek, that word submit means this. It means to be active. It means to arrange under, to be subordinate, to submit the control of one's life under. I want to be very direct today and I want to say something this morning. You cannot defeat the enemy by yourself. You cannot defeat the enemy with your flesh. When you get in the flesh, you get in the ring with the enemy. And you need to know something. When we submit our lives to God, the Bible says, the control of our lives, then we have the power to resist the devil. Today, you have the power to resist the devil. And if you feel like he's taking ground in your life, let me encourage you and let me ask you this question. Have you submitted your life unto God? Have you submitted your finances unto God? I see so many people, Christian people, man, in the area of their finances, I talk with them, they're crying, their finances are not well. And I ask this question, have you submitted your finances unto God? You know, the Bible says in Matthew, in Malachi chapter three, that when we give of our tithe today, at the end of service, when you give of your tithe today and you honor God, that's submitting your finances unto God. You know, the Bible says that God himself will rebuke the devourer in your name. He'll take care of your land. He'll take care of your ground. God will. See, but many people try to do this on their own without submitting to God. You cannot, you cannot beat the devil on his own terms. You need someone who's got your back and his name is God. But we have to be submitted to the Lord. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. But we need to know there is an enemy who is actively, listen to that word, actively trying to take ground. Here's another key. If you want an extraordinary victory, number two, see extraordinary victories go to those who stand and fight and not flee. I love Shama and I love Eleazar because when we read about them, one thing is to stand when no one's around you. But I think it's a whole other level when you're standing there and all the people around you see the enemy and walk off. And you have to make a decision. Am I going to stand and fight or am I going to follow the crowd? Because in reality, those were Israelite people in the army of God who walked away when they saw the enemy. And Shama had to make a decision like many of us do today. Are we going to follow the crowd or are we going to stand in our field? And let me just tell you the consensus of the crowd. The consensus of the crowd is we can't do it. The consensus of the crowd is let's run. The consensus of the crowd is just quit. The consensus of the crowd is wave the flag of surrender. Let's get out of here. But here's what I have found about the crowd. The crowd is usually wrong. 
They're usually wrong. And so many people are listening to the crowd. Can I just give you a word of wisdom today? When you're in a fight for your life, when you're in a fight for your marriage or your finances, can I just give you some advice this morning? Be careful who you allow to speak into your life. Because if you're going to the crowd, they're probably going to be wrong. You know, when I'm in a fight and the enemy is attacking I have some pre-qualifications of who I get answers from. And I have some questions that I ask before I get some advice. Number one, before I ask you to help me in my fight, uh, have you won any battles? Have you won any battles? Before you give me your wisdom, are you a quitter or you're a winner? Because if you're a winner, I want your advice. But if you're quitting, I don't need, I just am amazed how even Christian people will go to work and, and they're, they're going through something and they're like, well, Johnny at work just said, who is Johnny at work? Does he even know God? Does he even know that there's a devil? And you're going to take Johnny's word over Jesus's word. Who, who, who are you listening to? Why don't you listen to some people who have some battle scars? Why don't you listen to some people who have fought and won? You know, that's what I love about our prayer partners at the end of the service. Uh, George and Vicki, you know, they're here today. They're prayer partners. You know what? They've won some battles. They've won many battles through faith. And that's why they're down here. So when you come down here, man, I'm in a fight, Pastor Phil. I got all, talk to some people who've won some. That'll, that'll help you get through. When you're listening to voices, are you listening to people who are believers? Or are you listening to doubters? And see, to me, just you telling me a Christian doesn't mean anything. Because there's a lot of Christians who doubt. They, this was the Israelite army was fleeing. They had weapons in their hand. And Shammah said, I am staying in this fight. I have some other questions before I allow people to speak into my life. Are they committed people? Or are they non-committed people? Are they committed Christians? Or do they just go by their feelings? Well, today I feel like I'm going to win. But tomorrow I'm depressed and suicidal. Because they're all about their feelings. I'm sure Shama was like, yay, I'm by myself. Here's another question I have. Because Shama stood in his field of lentils. The Bible says he stood in his field of beans. Here's, I have a question before I allow people to speak into my life. Are they committed to my field of beans as much as I am? You know, I have some friends who are pastors who are great friends of mine. And you may not see them. You're going to see one next week because he's going to come and speak. But you know what? They're committed to this field of beans in Marietta, California called Passion Life Church. They have churches in other states. But you know what? They feel like this is part of their field of beans. And so when I call them, they're committed to my field of beans just like I am. Are you, are you, are you talking to people who don't even care about your marriage? Are you talking to people who are doubters? Because let me just tell you this. The crowd is usually wrong because the crowd is the one that was yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Go ahead, get in with the crowd. You know, I'm very fortunate to have some great friends and I always have, and, and it's, it's interesting to me. I got some gifts this last year from youth pastors who um, 
who just, I don't, I, I read their little things and they said, you know, when we used to come to your youth conference and we would do a youth conference with 2000 teenagers and youth pastors and, and I'd get, and I'm getting these little gifts. And, and one of them this last Christmas said, you know, we just wanted to give you a gift because when we came to your youth conference, you always included us. And we were nobodies and you were the, the guy, the big guy on the block and you had all the youth and all that and you always included us. And maybe that's why I have good friends. I've always been inclusive. I love people. And uh, probably about two months ago, I had a friend visit our church uh, here at Passion Life Church and uh, he lives in Albuquerque and, and he came and we went to eat lunch afterwards and we were just talking. And as we were talking, um, he said, man, I'm just so inspired to see that this church plan of Passion Life Church, a little over four years, man, how it's doing. And I was just so impressed by, by to see that there's this growth and it's growing. And, and I was, man, I was, praise God. And all of a sudden he paused and he just started, tears just started coming down his eyes. And I'm like, dude, we're at Chili's, man. <laughs> what's, what's going on, man? You know? Uh, and, uh, and I knew that it was a, a serious moment. And he said, I don't know if you know this, Phil. He said, but uh, he said, we planted a church. I planted a church years ago. And, I, and honestly, I, had, I didn't know that about him. And he said, um, and tears are coming down his face. And he said, uh, when times got tough, he said, I quit. I shut the whole church down. And he said, uh, and he looked at me and he said, I, looking back, I wish I would have stood my ground. He said, I wish I would have fought for the church that God had given me. And with tears coming down his face, he looked at me and he said, you know, and I'll never forget this conversation. He said, when times get tough, don't quit. He said, when we shut down the church, I felt a loss in my life. And he said, that was about two and a half years ago, and I'm still trying to find my place. He said, God had called me to a ministry, and I didn't fight. And those words rung in my heart. And he says, I'm coming back. He says, I'll probably do another church again. He says, but I'm just telling you from the past, if you ever think about quitting, don't quit. Stand your ground. And I'm telling you, don't quit today. I'm telling you, stand your ground. Can I just say this this morning? Just because the majority of the people around Shama decided to flee doesn't mean it's the right decision. And you know what? God is seeking Christians that will stand when others flee. See, extraordinary victories go to those who stand and fight and not flee. Is this good this morning? Here's another key. People who experience extraordinary victories, number three, they have a strong inner circle. Look at who Shama's connected with. Number one, he's under a great king. David was a warrior himself. David, at the age of 14, 15, was killing giants. He was wrestling lions. He was wrestling bears. That's a good friend. Let's look at his friends, right? Here's another one of Shama's friends, Adino. 
I think he's Italian. I don't know. I just like that. Uh, Dino. Hey, I want some pizza. You know, <laughs> I killed 800 Philistines. You want some, you know, I mean, it's like, and here's a Dino killed 800 Philistines by himself. That's a good friend. And we know when we say by themselves, it wasn't by themselves because we know that the Lord brought about the victory. And this one, Eleazar, I just love. Eleazar got his sword, and I'm using this Bible today as the sword because the Bible says that this is the sword of the Spirit. And we win supernatural battles with supernatural weapons. And you and I today have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus used this word when he was tempted with the devil. He, he said, it is written, it is written. And he got his sword and psh, 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 like Zorro, right? Psh, 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 psh. But it would have been a J. I'm sorry, I have a vivid imagination. What about Eleazar? The Bible says he was fighting so much that his hand spasmed to the point where his hand got stuck to the sword that you couldn't tell the difference between the sword and his hand. And he just kept killing the enemy. I think a good friend is someone who won't let go of the word of God and that can say, hey, listen, when you're about to fight, don't let go of your sword because I have mine. I'm not going to let go of my sword. See, Eleazar, when things got tough, he gripped harder. Not, oh my God. There's the devil. I think it's funny because I think us as Christians, this is who we think the devil, the devil's going to knock at our door. And you look at your peephole and there's a guy in a red devil costume, right? With horns and he's got a pitchfork and he's like, honey, that's the devil. Is it Halloween? Trick or treat? Right? You open the door and he's like, hi, I'm the devil and I've come to steal, kill and destroy. Do you have some candy? Ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't knock at your door. He comes to take ground. He comes to take ground. And here's the reality. Shammah had a strong inner circle. His one friend is killing 800. His other friend can't even get the sword out of his hand. These are the people he had around him. And you know what? Same with Eleazar. Eliezer, I just see this conversation. Sean was like, dude, I was in this field of beans and all of the army walked out on me. And Eliezer's like, yeah, man, all I had was my sword. I'm standing there too. What's with these guys? They just take off. Oh, really? You had people walk out on you? I've had people walk out on me. And you know what? We still won. And you know what? When you have friends like that, when you have an inner circle like that, they will help you win the battle. Let me ask you this question. Who is in your inner circle? Because you know what? Show me your friends and I will show you your future. It's hard to be a wimp when all your friends are warriors. Can I look at your friends? Because when your friends are warriors... And you get up, I don't feel like going to church. They're calling you. You going to church? We're going there. I'm coming to pick you up. When you call, I'm not going to church. Like, yeah, I'm not going either. 
I'm tired. Are you tired? I'm tired. We're tired. We're all tired. Oh, we're tired. Are you tired? Yeah, I'm tired. You're tired? I'm tired. Okay, I'm going to take a nap, and I'm going to call you, and I'm going to talk to you about how I took a nap, and I'm still tired. I'll call you back. Who's your inner circle? Are there people that are fighting for you? People fighting with you? People who have won some battles? And let me just give a real quick infomercial here for life groups. That's why in August, you need to be in a life group. You need to be among some other fighters. People who are, when you're going, man, I don't know what's going on in my marriage. They say, that's okay. We're going to stand with you. We're going to fight with you. We're going to pray with you. You are not alone. Come on, somebody. We need a good inner circle. Here's number four. And here's another key for extraordinary victories. We need to realize that there are fields worth defending. Can I ask you if you've identified in your life what fields are worth defending in your life? What are the non-negotiables for your life? Because I can think of three or four in my life. Number one, I will always fight for my family. I will fight for family. I will always fight for my marriage. Always, always. You know what? I will always fight for my church. Always, because it is the church that is the hope of the world that is reaching people. And you know what? The Bible says that the devil hates the church. Jesus said the gates of hell are going to come against the church. But you know what? The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And you know what? I will always fight for my church. Because this is the place that has helped me the most. It has helped me become who I am. It's given me an opportunity to even preach when I was young. Some guy took a, a, a gamble on me and let me preach one day. And it was there that I found purpose. I found friends. I learned how to pray. I learned how to preach. I learned how to read God's word. I learned how to win by coming to church. Amen. What are your fields? You know, the Bible says that Shama, listen to this, I love this. He stood in the middle of his field. See, wherever you're at right now, whatever problems are going on, you're going to have to stand in the middle of it and say, devil, you will not take ground. And the Bible says that Shama stood in the middle of his field. Shama was willing to give his life for his beans. Shama was willing to lay down his life for his field. You know, if you haven't realized what you're willing to die for, you won't know what you're living for either. My church family, you cannot be passive towards the enemy. You cannot. If you are passive, he will take ground. And you know what? What I find interesting about this whole story, and this is why I put it in the Extraordinary series, is that Shama understood something. Shama was not going to allow the enemy to take from him what God had given him. Shama is like, this is my field. 
I tilled this ground. I planted it. I watered it. And the enemy, you can't take it from me. God gave me this ground. And you can't have it. You can't have this ground. And I think Shama knew if the Philistines could take this ground, he would take more. And let me tell you that about the enemy. He's not passive. If you give him an inch, he will take five miles. You cannot. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Shama knew what this battle was about. He knew what the enemy's attack represented. It was really an attack to minimize what God wanted to do. The Philistines not only, you know why they hated God's people? Because the Philistines hated God. They had other gods. And they didn't want to see God's work be done in the land. So they hated God. And Shama's like, I'm a representative of God. And you cannot have my field. And here's the last one for today. And here's another key. See, people who experience extraordinary victories, number five, they believe God is the one who brings about the victory. They believe that God is the one that brings about the victory. My church family, even though the crowd walked out on Shama, Shama was not alone. God was with Shama. See, God stood with Shama when Shama stood up. You know, verse 12 says this, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and, the Philist- and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Listen to this. Shama fought, but the Lord brought about the victory. Let me say it again. Shama stood and Shama fought, but the Lord brought about the victory. Shama was the one who fought, but God was the one who fought for him. You know what? Shama was the one who took a stand, but you know what? God was the one who stood up on Shama's behalf. And here's the question. So what if Shama decided to tuck tail and run? People have this attitude, and I hear it all the time. Oh, and they sound spiritual. Oh, brother. God's just going to do what God's just going to do. Okay. So what we're saying is that what Shama did played no part in this victory. Now I'm going to say something to you, and I want you to think about this. And I'm saying this in this series. God cares about your ordinary. God cared enough. Jesus cared enough to look at Peter and said, look at your nets. You need to catch more. God looked at Shama and saw his beans and saw that Shama would make a stand for his own beans. Come on, tell your neighbor, God cares about your beans. Are you telling me that God cares about what I care about? Yeah, he does. And you know what? Shama said, I care enough about these beans to stand up for them. 
And I wonder what you value in your life. Because you know what? You will stand up for what you value. And listen, God was saying to Shama, if you stand, I will stand with you. Listen, if you're going to fight, you want to fight for these beans? You don't want the enemy to take this ground? I will stand with you. What I find is this is so interesting. God fought for Shama's field of beans because Shama fought for his field of beans. God's just going to do what God's just going to do. No, you need to stop being lazy and get up and fight and stop putting all the responsibility on God because God is a victorious God. But if only his children would stand up and take a stand against the enemy, he would stop getting more territory. God is just going to do what God is going to do. Stop it. We need to stand up. We need to withstand the enemy. See, you and I as children of God, we're God's representative on the earth. And here's where we close. This is what's interesting to me. You and I are living in the New Testament. And what I did is I took an Old Testament guy because I like the principles because the principles are still the same. See, you and I have a God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And you know, Jesus beat death, hell, and the grave. And here's the great news about uh, this victory. The devil is already defeated. The devil is already defeated. So you know what our job is? To enforce the victory that Jesus already won. See, here's the reality. Shama knew God was for him. So he fought. Do you know that God is for you today? He, he's with you. He stands with you. And so here we are. I'm going to enforce the victory that Jesus won. My church family, the devil is already defeated. So why should you surrender to an enemy that's already defeated? People are waving the flag. Can you give me that, that Kleenex, please? This is for dramatic effect. I could not bring a white flag today, but I have a white Kleenex. We wave the flag of surrender. And we'll wave the flag of surrender to an enemy that's already defeated. And he's already defeated. Because my church family, the only ground that the enemy can take is the one that you allow him to. And that's why we need to stand up and we need to stand in the power of God. And look at what Jesus said today as we close in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus said, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over some of the power of the enemy. And I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over half of the power of the enemy. Is that what it says? It says, I give you power, authority. What authority is that? The authority that Jesus has when he beat death, hell, and the grave. And you have that authority to trample over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing and nothing and nothing and nothing. And nothing shall by any means 
hurt you. And you may be here and you're fighting sickness. I, love, I heard this the other day and I thought it's so true. God has already cast his vote. The devil has cast his vote. But did you know that your vote makes a difference? Do you think God wants you sick? You know what? I'm going to say this and you may get mad at me, but that's okay. I'm already out there. When I get sick, I get mad. You know why I get mad? Because I realize the enemy is trying to take from me my life. Because the enemy is strategic. Today, if you have a disease, if things are coming, you need to know. You need to bore up your chest and be like Shama and Eleazar and say, you know what, devil? You're not going to take any more ground in my life. And you know what? I have a purpose. I have a reason to live. And I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You have that authority. God has casted his vote. So has the devil. Now your vote matters. Your vote matters. And you know what I found? Your vote can be the deciding factor. And when Shammah stood up, he killed the Philistines. And the Bible says, I just, I I can't get over this statement and I'm going to read it again because I just love it. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Shammah fought and God fought for him. Shammah stood and God stood with him. And so today, my church family, let's experience extraordinary victories. So I will stand and God will bring about the victory. Come on, can we give him a good victorious clap this morning? Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com 